The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, learn about the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities and the next step toward accessible prescription labels from Eric Bridges. Plus, the fall and winter fashion report for men from Lynn Cooper of The Mirrors Project on the holiday edition of ACB Reports for December 2012. Last month, we learned about the latest fashion trends for ladies from Lynn Cooper of The Mirrors Project. Lynn returns this month with her fashion report for gentlemen. Welcome, everybody. This is Lynn Cooper, and I am here with my wonderful host, Mike Duke, and we're bringing you ACB Reports, Fall and Winter 2012-2013 Men's Fashion Trends. And these looks are directly from the pages of the American and European fashion magazines and other resources. We're going to start with the top fashion trends, and these are taken, these maybe 10 or 12 of them I have here, are taken from the uh, pages of fashion magazines and um, pulled together. Number one are scarves, and gentlemen, these are big, large scarves, worn not long, not, not hanging long, but wrapped around your neck, and they're worn over suits, wrapped over casual wear, over sweaters, with your jackets. That's a very big look. Leather, well, no surprise there, but we're seeing leather tops, pants, jackets, coats. We're also seeing leather on lapels, so imagine you've got a jacket. And once again, this is all pretty fashion-forward, but it is happening. Uh, leather lapels of jackets, leather sleeves. Imagine like a wool jacket with leather sleeves. Another look that's really big is a bomber jacket. And I think we've talked about this in the past, Mike. A bomber jacket refers to a, uh, a fighter uh, pilot jacket from uh, World War II that was actually used in, in, um, in the war. And the style has remained. It is a um, to-the-waist has a fabric waistband, a zip up the front, and then fabric, leather for the most part, but we're seeing them in fabric, and uh, they can even be in, in quilted fabric for winter, and then fabric, um, a little elastic fabric around the sleeves. That denotes a, a bomber jacket. Those are big. Suits, uh, no surprise that we're seeing suits for men. We'll go into uh, the exact cut of those suits later, but we're seeing, of course, navy black, Brown and grays. Grays are really, really, really big. Everything from uh, light gray to a dark, almost black gray. But really light to medium gray is very, very big. Long blazers. So these would be like three and four button coats. Imagine like a sport coat, but really to the knees. Very fashion forward. It's often double-breasted or single-breasted. And these are being worn for casual or for business in lieu of uh, a car coat. Plaid ties, uh, unusual plaids, colors, and prints. It's a way, I think, once again, of getting a pop of color in in this season. Army clothing, we're seeing boots, very, very big boots, either big slouchy kind of timberline boots or uh, timberline, I'm sorry, it's timberline. Let me see, timberline? I think it's timberline boots. I'm thinking of the manufacturer. 
Or we're seeing, I call them beetle boots, very um, slim, zip up the inside, just above the ankle, no ornamentation. So they're worn with uh, either jeans or they're worn with, with slacks. We're seeing shearling trim. Now, shearling is a sheep fur trim on coats and jackets. It's very big. Paisleys and florals, and these are being shown in shirts and, of course, ties. We're seeing puffer vests, and that's P-U-F-F-E-R, puffer vests, meaning the big quilted, really, uh, you know, usually down or a synthetic. Probably not for our, our listeners in uh, warm climates, but those are very, very big. And just in vests, and it's kind of nice if the weather's cold, wear them over a sweater, wear them over shirts, t-shirts, what have you. Then we're seeing for sweaters, Nordic print. That refers to the classical type of pattern worn in a Nordic uh, country, Scandinavian and what have you, uh, knit sweaters. And striped sweaters that are very big. We're seeing corduroy again, corduroy suits in thin whale, meaning the little teeny tiny strips in the corduroy or wide whale, and that's W-A-L-E. And that refers to uh, the width of the uh, corduroy itself. And then we're seeing patterned sport coats. Burgundy, that color that is very big, we, we talked about that as we referred to women's wear um, style trends. And animal motif sweaters. Now, once again, this just seemed to, uh, to be kind of a fun fashion trend, but imagine your Aunt uh, Bertha knit you a sweater and there's um, a pattern or an animal or something, a reindeer, knit right into the sweater. That is what we're seeing. We're seeing leather soft-sided men's briefcases, very big. Now, they're not briefcases hard, uh, structured, you know, the, the 1960s, 70s kind of briefcases. These are very slouchy, and you can carry your, um, you know, workout gear in there. You can carry anything in there, your school books, what have you. Um, but they're really a, a wonderful man's bag. They're shoulder straps on them, so they're not just with a, they have both. They have also uh, just a handle and then a shoulder strap. And blockbuster coats, now blockbuster usually most people think the videos, but what we mean um, by blockbuster is these are really standout pieces. Once again, very fashion forward. They might be in very artistic fabrics or colors or prints or what have you. French coats are very big again, Mike. Tan, no surprise there, but they're shorter this time. They're not um, past the knee. They're around the knee. They're shorter. They're often tied, or they might be um, they might be uh, without a belt. Light colored jeans. We're going back. Probably a good idea to just have every shade of jean in one's closet. But now we're seeing casual, loose, rolled at the hem, even if they're even if they're dress jeans, a little bit of roll at the bottom, and they are in light. It's a light um, fade, a light dye. And checks, we're seeing uh, checks, very, very big, in shirts, in dress shirts, in casual shirts, and it's a huge look in suits. Now, what we're seeing in hair, here we go. I'm going to throw in hair here before I go back to the to the suit profile. Hair, men's styles evolve, Mike, as you can imagine, more slowly than women's. Women's styles in hair and clothing change almost yearly. And so what we're seeing this fall is really not much of a change. 
from last season. Very big looks, slicked back. There's three big looks, slicked back, which is long on top, and the sides are shorter. The second look is a British indie rocker, it's called, and that is where the hair is swept forward onto the face. It's uh, feathered, feathered, and then it's swept onto the face. And then the rockabilly, as it's called, and all I can really say is that it's an Elvish. Elvish? Whoops, what did I say there? An (laughs) Elvis uh, Presley sort of a style, which is relatively short on the sides and kind of a big poof in front. Uh, Very dramatic, a fun look, you know, but certainly not something one should uh, wear to work unless, of course, you're working in Vegas and you're an Elvis impersonator. Um, We're also seeing short waves and curls in the hair, short sideburns, I've denoted, Um, 60s, very big that look, a side part and slicked down. Now, if you have very coarse, wavy, thick hair, you know, ask your your hairstylist uh, what they think, but it's really good if somebody has um, has straight hair uh, parted on either side. Then we're also seeing a curly mop top, as it's called, and then a straight and smooth shoulder length. If you wish to go with a um, a more casual look and you can get away with it where you work, then the straight and smooth shoulder length hair is really big. I'm seeing more and more beards and mustaches, too, Mike, usually worn together, not, not uh, one or the other, and they are quite closely cropped. They, you know, once again, um, they're, they're being shown more and more, not only on the runway, but in the past pages of magazines this fall, but it's also really, really important that if any of our listeners do have a, a beard and a mustache, that they remember that it's a little tricky look to pull off because you do have to keep it, um, keep it looking really clean and well, well trimmed. What we're going to do now is look at the suit profile. And this is um, an important thing to consider when you're looking at this season's uh, suit profile and you're thinking of purchasing a suit quite possibly. Um, like last season, they are uh, the, the trench, and Mike, we've talked about this, but the trench in a jacket refers to, or the gutter, refers to the distance between your neck. It's the opening before the first button. That is higher, and there we're only seeing two button jackets, okay? Now, only the top button is jacket, uh, only the top button is buttoned. They're very, very slim. This is continued from last season, and what is a bit exaggerated, and certainly if you go in to buy a business suit, you can. Um, this will be a little bit uh, watered down. This this characteristic, and that is that they're quite short jackets. You always would be showing linen, as it's called, and that is leaving a little of the shirt, a half an inch or a three quarters of an inch, uh, exposed under your jacket sleeve, but they almost look like you're wearing a jacket that is too short. That is really a big look. Slim lapels, slim legs of the pants. They're cuffed or uncuffed, and most of them are at the ankle, Mike, no break. So very seldom do you see a break on the shoe, meaning the pant doesn't fall onto the front of the shoe. Side vents are big in the back one on each side, so you've got a big panel of fabric in the back, and then you can put your hands in your pockets on those vents on either side. Thin pinstripes are very big, and once again, gentlemen, flat front pants. 
for accessories. We've got ties, plaid, and then bow ties. My husband is a big bow tie fan, and bow ties definitely now are being adopted by rap stars and, and musicians, and, and uh, so we're going to be seeing more and more bow ties. But plaid ties in um, fun colors, hats. Fedoras or driving caps, as they're called, are very, very big. Watches are uh, big, once again, statement watches with leather bands. And shirts, we are seeing plaid dress and casual shirts. And that is a way also to get some interest and some color in. Socks, this is really fun. Um, Socks are being shown in bright colors. So imagine if you're wearing a... uh, rather subdued either suit or you're wearing um, casual outfit, you can have a pop of fun color with your socks. In eyeglasses and sunglasses, we're seeing, once again, like in women's wear, for eyeglasses, these nerd geek chic glasses, and I call them cartoonish. They're oversized. They're really cartoonish. They're designed to be seen as the first thing on the face and, and really the first bit of humor I've seen in men's glasses in a while. Then another look is easier to wear for most, and those would be aviator sunglasses, and we've talked about those before. Shoes, Oxfords, and those are the um, lace-up. Those are very big. Penny loafers, those are uh, a great uh, style because we can get those from any uh, price point, just about any uh, store that carries shoes. And then we're seeing buckles on uh, slip-ons, buckles, metallic details. And then boots are very big, which I mentioned earlier. Either the Chelsea boots refers to the Chelsea neighborhood in in London. The beetle boots, as I said, very sleek with the uh, little zip just past the ankle. Or the big, slouchy biker boots. Now, two ways to wear those, either under your jeans or your cords or your casual slacks, or having the jeans or slacks tucked in. So, that pretty much is a look at men's fashion trends for 2012-2013, fall and winter. And uh, once again, this is Lynn Cooper on behalf of the Mears Project and ACB Reports, wishing you a wonderful fall and winter. Visit Lynn at her website, lynncooper.us. That's L-Y-N-N-C-O-O-P-E-R dot U-S. ACB Reports for December 2012 continues with the Government and Advocacy Update from Eric Bridges, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. Eric, it looks like you have a lot on your plate this holiday season, and I'm afraid that plate didn't come from the kitchen. What's going on? The first thing that is uh, sort of timely is the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, also known as CRPD. It is a convention that was adopted by the United Nations some six years ago with a lot of help, frankly, from U.S. disability groups. More specifically, even some assistance in drafting from staffers at the American Council of the Blind. Uh, Melanie Brunson and my predecessor, Dayal Muhammad, worked on it. The convention itself seeks to have countries provide more rights
rights for individuals with disabilities than what they probably already have. Here in the U.S., obviously, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act. We have the Rehabilitation Act. We have a lot of different laws pertaining to individuals with disabilities. And some within the U.S. have said, well, why do we need this? We already have these laws. And and our response in uh, trying to effort this forward is that the U.S. is already leading the world in this area. This is something that we should do as a nation to show solidarity with the rest of the world. So in late summer, the uh, CRPD went before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, to be essentially marked up. And uh, it passed through the Senate Foreign Relations Committee favorably and has been essentially awaiting a time whereby there could be enough support for ratifying the convention so that it could be brought to the floor. With regard to treaties like the CRPD, it takes a supermajority, two-thirds vote, for any treaty to be ratified and to have the U.S. observe that particular treaty. So what we as the disability community have been working on since then is shoring up 67 votes, which we believe that we now have. And as we're speaking, the CRPD has been introduced onto the Senate floor for debate. This could take a couple days or it could take a couple weeks, just depending upon the objections of those who don't intend to vote for it. So as of about 2.15 this afternoon, as we're speaking, this treaty is now on the floor of the Senate for consideration. Like I said, this is a cross-disability effort, including veterans groups, service providers that work with individuals with disabilities, and uh, grassroots advocacy groups such as the American Council of the Blind. We've all been working together on this for quite some time, and frankly, this is not something that has just popped up. Three years ago, the president, during the Americans with Disabilities Act anniversary ceremony, signed the U.S. onto the CRPD, but that's just sort of the first step, and it's taken an additional three years for it to make it to the floor of the Senate. So this is in typical form in terms of uh, disability legislative-type issues. It, it's taken a while. It really won't change much in terms of the, the U.S., right? It's more of an international thing than it is specifically for the United States. Exactly. So what else is going on? Well, within the last month, uh, the U.S. Access Board, which is an independent federal agency, announced the organizational participants for the best practices working group that's going to be looking at uh, accessible prescription drug labeling. As you will recall, in July, the president signed the FDA Safety and Innovation Act. And this particular piece of legislation had accessible prescription drug labeling language included in it that ACB had been advocating for for the last couple of years. And uh, one of the things that the language said was that the U.S. Access Board was to set up a working group of organizations evenly divided between consumer groups and industry to look at how to best provide the container label information for prescription drugs to individuals who are blind or visually impaired. And I'm pleased to say that 
the American Council of the Blind, as well as our special interest affiliate, the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, have been selected as participants in this working group. So ACB will have a member and CCLVI will have a member, as will organizations like the Blinded Veterans Association, the American Foundation for the Blind, the National Federation of the Blind, and then pharmacy companies or companies that have pharmacies such as Target, Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, and others. So and, it's a good group, but it seems to be very evenly divided, which is what we called for in the legislation. What is the timeline for them to produce their results? Well, the first face-to-face meeting will be taking place in early January. Then there will probably be another one, I would guess, mid-spring, and then late summer, I want to say, is the deadline for them to come with best practices. So uh, it'll be a uh, fairly uh, active and uh, busy group for a while. Yes, it will. These best practices are only going to be as good as the implementation of them by the pharmacies themselves. And so it's our expectation that with the pharmacies participating, that they will take an active role in seeing to it that whatever best practices come from this group, that they are implemented in a very workable logical fashion so that folks who are blind or visually impaired or, frankly, older individuals that would never admit to having vision loss could go in and get either large print labels or some some audio technological solution um, should they need it or, who knows, maybe even Braille. We'll see. But uh, the, the goal is not to have a, a one-size-fits-all, but to have a menu of potential options, given that not all blind people are the same, as you all know. I know that uh, your presentation on this very subject last summer drew quite a bit of interest, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who are going to be watching this very closely. Yeah, it's exciting. It's something that we feel has been um, overdue to be dealt with. It's something that we feel until best practices are implemented, is a public health challenge in this country. Uh, a growing number of individuals are are aging, and they're aging into vision loss or blindness. And then there are others of us that have grown up with it. So we have this charge to look at this issue, not just from the perspective of someone who's totally blind, but someone that has usable vision, someone that may be going blind but doesn't read Braille, um, these different perspectives. And I think that this working group, at least our expectation is this working group is going to be able to arrive at at some good best practices that can be implemented in a logical and successful manner. And you've also been working with other organizations to seek a change in a bothersome Medicare regulation. Tell us about that. ACB over the last several months has worked in coalition with probably 20 different organizations for the blind here in the U.S. to try and figure out the best way to deal with a really frustrating and ever-growing issue, and that is Medicare's refusal to reimburse or to cover low vision aids, devices such as closed-circuit TVs, 
or even handheld magnifiers. And what we have arrived at is a draft legislative proposal that really seeks to set up a national demonstration program where someone could become eligible to have these devices covered if they go through a clinical low vision exam and are recommended these sorts of devices by a physician. It's an issue that I think we're going to get into more in 2013. I believe that it will be one of our legislative imperatives. As I said with the drug labeling issue before, more and more individuals are aging into vision loss and blindness. This isn't an issue that can just go away. Medicare reimburses for a lot of different devices for people with wide range of disabilities. But in 2008, they promulgated a rule, a regulation, which is sweetly called the eyeglass exclusion that essentially bars Medicare from covering anything that has a lens in it, eyeglasses, contacts. But then it makes this very narrow swath and cuts over into low vision devices, things that don't restore vision, but that allow or enable the person to utilize what vision they have left to their maximum ability. And uh, we feel like they've made an error in doing that. We've attempted to speak with the folks at Medicare to talk with them about this, and uh, unfortunately they're not budging, so we're having to look at the legislative route as a way to find a solution. And so this would then cover not only eyeglasses, but other vision aids? Yeah, potentially. Um, you know, we understand the country's current fiscal situation, and uh, it's a matter of attempting to be as even-handed as we can while having folks have the ability to have some of these devices that they rely upon for daily use be covered. You uh, mentioned uh, a legislative imperative for 2013, and obviously uh, that indicates a legislative seminar. So is there such a thing on the horizon? Yes. The legislative seminar is taking place the last weekend in, in February here in Arlington, Virginia, at the Holiday Inn National Airport. And more information will be coming probably within the next month about the issues that we plan to cover, other legislative imperatives. I know that there will at least be one, if not two more, legislative imperatives uh, for the 2013 Legislative Seminar, and I encourage folks to stay tuned. Thank you for talking with us today, Eric, and we hope your next plate does come from the Holiday Kitchen. I just want to wish uh, everyone a happy holiday season. Hope everyone stays safe and uh, doesn't eat too terribly much. That was Eric Bridges, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. That's our program for this month. And as I wrap up the seventh year of hosting and producing ACB Reports, on behalf of the American Council of the Blind, may the holidays you celebrate be filled with the warmth and happiness that only friends and family can provide. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. 
Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.